And welcome to the socialworldpodcast.com. Your host is Dave Niven. Today's show is sponsored by David Niven Associates. Welcome back to the Social World Podcast. I'm Dave Niven, and uh, I'm very pleased to have you listening. Now, today we're going to have some more interviews from the Joint Social Work Education Conference that happened at Royal Holloway, which was part of the University of London. Uh, the annual event, the three-day event, where academics from social work and social care from all over the country come together. There's some fantastic keynotes, some fantastic workshops. I mean, it's just an absolute sweet shop for those who want to indulge themselves in uh, matters concerning education and research within social work. But before we do that, I'd just like to point out a couple of things. Keep listening, please. Keep uh, giving us your feedback, uh, whether it's SpeakPipe, which is the little one-click service beside the uh, the podcast icon itself, or um, Stitcher, Podfeed, iTunes, of course, and the website itself, uh, socialworldpodcast.com. Now, I'd a couple of words of thanks. First to uh, ah, a listener who emailed us in, Richard Devine from North Somerset. Thanks, Richard who says that you're a podcast listener and uh, you talk of the your appreciation of the podcast and how it provokes research, further research, as it were, in social work, and you're sharing it with your team. Good to know. And um, I think, as I said to you, if I reply, and I replied, keep it coming, give me some ideas, happy to explore things on behalf of listeners. As well as that, as always, my thanks go to All by Digital Media for helping me put together this podcast. Now... Today, joining us uh, in interview are going to be three people. Firstly, Tim Kelly, who's the Dean of Social Work and Community Education at the University of Dundee. Now, Tim actually chaired the Joint Social Work Education Conference, the entire event. And it's a very interesting interview about his perspective on social work. Secondly, today we've got Amanda Taylor, who's the senior lecturer in the School of Social Work at the University of Central Lancashire, and an amazingly interesting interview to do with book groups in social work. And thirdly, Pam Trevillick, who's retired from academic life, although she's still a visiting professor of social work from Buckingham University. Now, she has a wide-ranging critique of where she thinks social worker social work is in contemporary Britain. So three great interviews. I hope you enjoy them. I certainly did. Let's have a listen to the first one then. Here's Tim Kelly. Well, hello there. Um, here we are again. We're at the Joint Social Work Education Conference. And you can hear in the background, it's really buzzing. But don't worry about the background noise. That just shows we're all alive here. Now, I'm with Tim Kelly. Now, Tim is the Dean of Social Work, Education and Community Education at the University of Dundee. Recently appointed, but has been at Dundee now for about eight, uh, since 2008. Five years before that at Glasgow Caledonian University and before that, as you will hear from his accent, he was actually practicing in uh, America. So, very welcome, very warm welcome to you, Tim. You had the honour of actually introducing and kicking off the whole conference today. So, uh, 
just give us a quick thought about what you're hoping to, to get from this three days of where all social work academics from all over the UK are gathering. Well, the theme of, of this year's conference is about making connections and so when, what I really hope to get out of the conference is making connections, reconnecting with um, colleagues, old colleagues, uh, new colleagues and, and coming away from the, uh, the conference refreshed and re-energized uh, because so much of what's, what's happening, especially in um, social, work, social, social work education um, in, in England is the... Uh, just, it can feel like a daily onslaught uh, to the profession um, and so connecting, reconnecting with people here kind of helps fortify um, and counteract some of the negative forces so that we can go out and really make social it's work stronger. It's a lot of pressure at the moment, isn't there? Yeah, yeah there really is. All the yes. way through the system, from right from education right through to the actual practice. Yes. There seems yeah. such tensions uh, around. Yeah. Yeah, and it's but it's not across the UK. It's it's different in the different countries. It's um, in, in England uh, having a particularly difficult time over the past couple of years with all those those pressures. Uh, up in in Scotland, we've got um, a very different flavour uh, and relationship between social work um, and and government. Uh, and I think there's a more supportive ethos up there for the profession. Uh, as compared to uh, what's happening in, in England. Well, remember to remember that actually, because there's um, obviously some big um, referenda coming up very soon as well, which might accentuate some of the differences. Yes, yes. But anyway, look back to yourself. Um, you specialised when you were in practice mm. in working with older people. Yes, yes. And that's been a thread all the way through, and I know it's still a particular passion mm. of yours. But if we superimpose something that's really consuming you at the moment, which essentially is, if I understood it right, the total too, too reliance and too dominance of the individual within social work and the lack of memory that we have about the value of group work. Yes. Is, is that a fair... Yep, absolutely. Let's say um, a little bit about that. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting. With the as, as you said, my, my accent will give away uh, that I, I'm no from here. Um, I uh, grew up in uh, outside of Atlanta, and most of my practice was, was in uh, uh, either Georgia or Florida or South Carolina um, in, in the States. And when I was... Um, Becoming a, a, a social worker, um, I, I d did a, a placement uh, that involved uh, group work with older people, and I just fell in love with older people and with, with group work. I mean, in both ways, those two, two areas made perfect sense in my life uh, because I loved older people since I was a, a, a wee boy. I had lots of old, positive relations with older people. Uh, but so much of my life had, had involved being in groups and members of groups. So it just was a natural fit for who I was um, as, as a person. And my social work education um, really emphasized being able to work with individuals, families, groups, communities, um, and um, organizational change. We, we, we had to look at working with systems of all sizes. So I was, I was really, I really grew I mean, gr up in that. Groups are all over the place. Uh, exactly. at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but um, that started in the states too. Um, even though there was more of emphasis on working with all the different systems within social work education, as you know, the states is very individualized. Um, it's all about the person and and fixing people um, uh, so that's one of the, the, the dominant discourses uh, there 
in coming to the, the UK, um, I had assumed that would be different uh, for, uh, for some reason, especially in a, a place like Scotland where there's, uh, um, there is more of a, a kind of a socialist mentality, um, um, the, the common wheel and being in things uh, uh, together. Um, but even, even though there's still, in social work education, too much focus on individual in, in my opinion it's all about risk assessing the individual the individual situation um, and and providing services to the to the individual uh, um, and yet we talk about having a social model um, but for me that's very individual as a focus so it's a real it's a real concern of mine in about social work education that we really do need to pay more attention to being skilled and working with with families with communities with groups and not be so focused on on, on individual risk assessments and because yes, I mean I, I remember in practice when there was a wee bit of money in the system that we used to have places that entire families could go to and actually effectively have a, like a therapeutic supermarket or whatever you want you know and in terms of looking at the needs of but looking at also the collective needs of the family and I, I totally understand what you're saying. That's now not a very common or it's a very uncommon practice now because of the costs and apart from anything else. But let me press you a little bit on this. In looking at backing away from so much work of the individual and looking more at communities, groups, families, whatever, could that not be a possible danger in losing, for example, the voice of the child? Uh, if you look at children's work, mm. or maybe even the voice of the vulnerable adult um, who would get subsumed into the already controlling family. Do uh, you, you see what I'm saying about that? Well, you know, it's, it's when, when you look, I believe that when, when we are sitting with an individual person, be it child, older person, um, and we hear their, their private troubles, their, their private pains, um, that they're a case in point of many other people, um, other problems within the system. So it's not them alone um, that experiences this, this problem. And, and for me, collective approaches are almost always preferable to individualistic. You know, there's, of course, you know, uh, individuals do need, uh, need support and you know, individualized services as, as well. But a collective approach, you know, it, there, there is value in knowing that I'm not in this alone. I'm not the only one that has this particular problem. Uh, there's, there's something really helpful, therapeutic even. Uh, in, in, no, no, in no. I mean, yeah. I totally understand what you're saying. And I, and I, I kind of, I can see myself and, and kind of experience the idea that group work used to be much more um, favored, perhaps, than it is, than it is currently. Uh, I can see that that's denied. It's crazy. Within the sort of child protection, I know there's something else as well, but if you're looking at so-called victims, there tends to be quite an emphasis now on psychotherapeutic support, which essentially is an individual process, mm -hmm. rather than looking at the whole family, as long as it's not the abuser, of course, but I mean, looking at the whole family type thing, and I, I guess that would fit to what you're maybe thinking about. Yes, yes, yes uh, absolutely. I mean, um, I mean, even, but even working with, with abusers, there are group approaches to working with people who, who abuse uh, uh, is, is, as well. Um, um, I lost my train okay, of thought. Just, I mean, I was going to sort of switch for a little bit. Oh. Whoa. 
You hear that's a dynamic conference, folks. <laughs> See, that's, that's real life. So, what about your expectations, not just for this conference, but, all right, your students, all of them now, mm. you know, are in front of you. What's your kind of message for those that are about to go out and actually be social workers to the world, or actually going to practice our craft in the community? Um, with all the backdrops that there are in the media and wherever else, and the money constraints and goodness knows what else, what would your message be to them now? Mm, my message, uh, what, what sprung to mind uh, was to be brave. Um, that uh, you know, the, the social work profession um, really is involved in people's lives at very important times uh, and we can make a real difference. Um, um, you're building on uh, Harry Ferguson's excellent uh, keynote um, uh, this, this morning um, around being um, alive um, as, as a social worker, how important that, that is um, to be brave, be human, and be real in your interactions with people, that that's really what um, you know, can be so important and, and make a difference in people's lives. Okay, just one final thought, because, I mean, I know you, you tweet, you know, and you're kind of, embra you've embraced social media, and I guess you would accept that social media is going to be one of the major communication platforms increasingly, well, I mean, and here we are podcasting, but we all blog, we tweet, we Facebook, whatever, and there's so many other platforms as well. What about the use of social media in social work? I mean, I'm thinking of everything from the, 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 the practical, such as smart houses, perhaps, and all the way that older folks or people with great difficulty can be, can be aided from a distance to live alone or to live with more dignity for longer. Mm. But also things like um, surveillance cameras, etc., 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 and all the ethical issues that that might bring mm. up. But also things like, I don't know if you come across things like Momo, which is an app because it's mind of my own for young care leavers, where effectively they get this app that tells them everything they need to know, supposedly, about the law, about housing, about money, about work, about all that kind of thing. And they got it on something that they can relate with very, very smoothly, which is an app. So could we also then do social work visits on Skype? discuss. So I think effectively at the end of the day, where is social work going in parallel to the, well, the dynamic changes in social media? You know, uh, you, I'm going to give away my, my age a wee bit here. Um, when I first started um, social work practice, uh, there was one computer in the mental health center um, and, and the, the, the secretary controlled it. Um, as um, um, as a, a master's of social work student, there I helped set up the first computer lab in in, in the school of social work at the university that I went to, um, and there were these big old clunky, you know, computers. And now my <laughs> iPhone has more power than all the computers in that one computer lab. You know, um, and and I'm not that old, but the the rate at which technology has, has changed in my career is just mind-boggling. Mind so 
um, to think about where it's going to go in the future and how how technology we can better incorporate it into to uh, to social work and social care. I have no idea where it's going to be 10 years from now, but I do know it's going to be there. Um, and as, as a profession, we need to understand how to use it ethically, sensitively, um, to work with, with people. Do you, see it, do, do you see incorporating it into the education syllabus? I mean, you know, incorporate more increasingly. I wonder how your colleagues feel about that. Yeah, within, with, well, across our university, there's a debate around, um, around uh, the use of social media um, in, in education. Um, we keep trying to push the boundaries uh, a little bit um, around around the use of, of social media it, for educational purposes, but also, you know, in practice uh, as well. Um, and it does raise some ethical uh, issues. Um, so, what, one of the social media platforms we wanted to use um, is um, owned by an American com- company, and the data protection issues um, and uh, who who owned the data and what that company might do with it is a, an issue we had to deal with and grapple with um, as as an institution. Yeah. So, in other words, you you recognize the slow advance or the fast advance of it, uh. but it, it's almost like a daily breaking news thing about what's available. Yes, yeah. But w- were you actually saying that you would you would actually embrace it in Absolutely. terms of the, the, the syllabus? Yes, yeah. 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 Tim, it's been a great pleasure. I mean, Thanks. we've raced through this a, a bit. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say at the moment about JSWEC? Just a brief final point about listen in, tweet, what's the Twitter handle for JSWEC? Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, hashtag JSWEC. That's um, no, J-S-W-E-C. Yeah, J-W-S-W-E-C. Um, and um, follow us on, on jswec.net as well. We've got a, a web page with all the, the, the blogs and some of the podcasts. And uh, next year we'll be um, at the Open University of Milton Keynes. Hope to see you folks there. Okay, and remember this is going out to about um, 60 countries. So... Bienvenue, welcome, whatever, whatever, whatever. Or hi, y'all. Come, come next year, as they say, from where I come from. Absolutely. <laughs> Tim, many thanks. It's All lovely right, talking thanks. to you. Thank, Thank you. Right. Well, there we are. I hope you enjoyed Tim's interview. Now, like I told you, the second interview is Amanda Taylor, and she's going to talk about the value that she's found in getting involved with the Social Work Book Group and all the possibilities that stem from it. So here we are, Amanda Taylor. Right, well, I'm joined again by Amanda Taylor, who's a senior lecturer in the School of Social Work at the University of Central Lancashire. And Amanda has presented a session on social work book groups and their place in social work education. So welcome. Thank you, David. Okay. Now, I'm reading here a little bit about how the workshop focused on the popular format of book clubs and uh, using fiction to consolidate social work learning extended through Twitter. Yes. Fascinating. Tell us a bit about it. Well, book, cl- well, book group started as a, an experiment for me really at the University of Central Lancashire with a first year um, cohort of students within the first semester of their professional training and I was looking at helping them really to make better habits in terms of reading make them feel more cohesive as a group and belong to the school really in a, in a you know a very different way and um, 
I booked a room for around 20 students and um, I think I can't remember it was between 40 and 80 students that they all piled in basically out of this cohort of 120 students so initially I thought there's something for me to think about here and they came along all having read and students talked about how they wouldn't and didn't really read nor did they really want to um, you might find that very strange in terms of university but it's tricky so anyway I, I kept going with this kind of the concept of uh, book groups. It started off with five students two years ago in a library in Euclid and it's now got 1,114 <laughs> followers on Twitter. It's a now a national project, um, part funded by the Higher Education Academy which is just about to finish in October where we have university six of across the four nations of the UK all engaged in their own book groups. The book group is live streamed from the University of Central Lancashire out. Okay. Um, someone will come along, a professor, a researcher, um, an author of a book perhaps as well, and they will come with their text and pick up the main themes of that text. Social work students will have come having read the book, a piece of fiction, and have annotated it in terms of the knowledge, values and skills relevant to social work practice. And we have a book group, we discuss it. Yeah, and how long has it been going for? It's in the form that it's in at the moment, it's been about a year and a half, but it was about roughly around two years. So it's quite established. Um, it, it, it's only met, uh, believe it or believe it not, four times. Um, so it, it, it hasn't been going for that long. In term, it's, it's been going on, but mm. in, in terms of physically meeting, we're very conscious that students have a very curriculum anyway. So we need to be careful around you know, putting them under pressure. We want to encourage them to read and we want to, to consolidate their learning through this, which I feel is a really contemporary method. And it is also quite a, an entertaining way of learning. Have you found that that's percolated through? Have you found that, that in effect, the students are, are really appreciating the, the, if you like, the different way of learning? They do, they do like different ways of teaching and learning. You know, there, there's a lot of discussion around, you know, traditional learning spaces. And there's a lot of discussion about um, different ways of delivering in higher education. I think this is a really contemporary way. Um, I contacted um, a, a professor um, in a university in the south of England a few weeks ago. She had researched um, just the phenomena of social book groups. And my question to her was, can you tell me how many or do you know of any others in education? And she said, I actually don't. So I did a bit of uh, digging around actually yesterday with my colleague Angie Bartoli. And we found a few examples of similar things, but not actually in this, this format. It's certainly the first in social work education in the UK. Um, there, it, there's one in America that we kind of know of, but we're not quite sure what that looks like. Um, but this uh, professor I was talking about, when she did her research back in 2002, there were 500,000 book groups, social book groups in, in the US. There were 50,000 in, the, in the, uh, Britain. And the interesting thing was there was a really strange diversity in terms of the, the findings of that research. So there was men's groups, there was women's groups, there was women's groups in homes where the, their children would be there and their children wanted to have a reading group. You know, the, 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 you think of a diverse group and her, she herself has 14 groups in prisons around the UK where um, she has introduced that concept within yeah. the prison context. Yeah. So my understanding is that where I am with Book Club is now that I want to write it up as a method of intervention. I want to model it in terms of group work theory, group work processes. Here we have um, social groups have, happening all over the place, sustaining small communities, very micro communities. 
um, there, was, there was rural groups came up from Jenny Hartley's research as well. And when I thought about that, there's, I thought there's something else to think about in terms of this concept. Not only is it teaching and learning concept, but let's take it a stage further. If we model it and students become a book group member and they see how that process pans out and they can understand the theory behind that, then they can take it into practice. I'm, so I'm, I'm, I was fine what you said there because I mean I, I was waiting for you to talk about the academic value. <laughs> to I mean because obviously that's been one of your agendas. Here. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, are you getting quite a lot of interest from other academic uh, sources? Uh, yeah, I have actually. Um, we have lots of the professors, the lead professors on our field, who have come to book club and wanted to be a part of it. Had Bruce Featherstone, Jonathan Schofield, Sue White. We have got uh, Lynn Romeo, the Chief Social Worker, yeah. really interested in it. She came to the session yesterday, <laughs> which was really exciting. And she brought lots of really fabulous ideas as well. Yeah. And she shared her ideas mm -hmm. of it. Um, we had the Chief Social Worker from Scotland there. And he, he again stopped me today. And he wanted to talk about it a bit more, which is really exciting for me. Mm. And we have um, the other Chief Social Worker for Children coming in February to facilitate book group. We've got the last one of the National Project on October 27th. Um, at 5 p.m. should you want to tune in via Twitter or whatever way you want to tune in um, with Harry Ferguson and Judith Thilburn. So we're okay, really so all the names are there. They're all there and they're really well, and all of Steve's and we're going to be looking at it's not fiction on this occasion. No, but we're her biography or her autobiography. Her, yeah, 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 we yeah. felt it was really important. It was a book group and it was really important in terms of the tricky times we are in in social work and social work education to remember our history. We thought here is a beautiful, you know, excuse really, and to indulge ourselves in all of this. Um, no, no, I mean, sorry. Text, yeah, yeah, it sounds fantastic. Yeah. I mean, do you see yourself embracing other media in terms of the same, the same sharing principle? For example, film or uh, television, uh, radio, whatever, where social work is part of the... Pro well, I do use a lot of radio, uh, mm. things like the listening project, in my teaching mm. and learning anyway, I use poetry and all sorts of things, music, we analyse lyrics, all sorts of things goes on, um, because, you know, the worst thing I think you can do in social work education is reflect, of it, reflect on it in terms of your experience of it as an academic. Mm. I, I always avoid it and I hate to hear people say it in my day, because we're not in our there, you know, we're in our day. We're in a very different day, yeah. and we need to, you know, work with that day and the students of this this day. Really, mm -hmm. we need to be much more contemporary. We need contemporary practice, so therefore, we need contemporary practice modelled in social work education. I think um, Joanne Westwood, who's involved in the book that you've just been discussing, the critical publishing book, she has a film club, um, okay. and sometimes we try to kind of, you know used the same book and the same phone. It's not always easy or whatever, but we have used media in that way and that was really successful. Particularly when you're thinking about different learning styles of students. Mm. You know, not everyone learns in the same way and to engage with something completely different. For students as well, it's quite exciting for them to come to a lecture theatre, you know, sometimes we can manage to get some money to put some food on, sometimes they just bring their dinner with them or whatever, and we watch a film and then we have a clinical discussion. Yeah. We try to bring pra practitioners into both book group and film group in our film club so that they get that other, um, you know, that other angle on it, that, the real-time practice as well. So when we talk about social work education not being contemporary and, and, and very, you know, been around for too long, we need to get back into practice. We do interface with practice a lot sure. in these contemporary spaces, really. We're obviously very enthusiastic about it, and I'm rightly so. Always. Just <laughs> uh, as, as a sort of a final point, tell me a little bit about some of the. the feedback you get from the students about the project but also 
how do they feed into it? Give us some addresses, Twitter handles, whatever it happens to be, and you know, that people who might want to know, oh, right, I like that, get in touch or get involved or whatever. Feedback about Book Group has been really good. I do have a Storify that you can go on to and you can, it's a teaching and learning resource as well, so the book groups that we've covered are in there, they're live streamed. The uh, Book Club has its own Twitter feed, so it's at SW Book Group, and you can get in contact um, through that or, or participate through that. We're all open to new universities coming on board, students coming on board, practitioners coming on board. Um, the, some of the feedback around the, the academics who have given me feedback, I've video blogged them and they're on the Storify so you can go and watch their captions. Yeah. The students have done the same thing. The students are a part of a, I have a, a planning group for book group each year and it's student led as well. So they talk about the fiction that they want to use, they talk about the timings and the curriculum that's best for them. So it's, it's driven in terms of their, you know, their needs really mm -hmm. and they bring other students on board. When you've had that experience, when they have had that experience, generally the numbers of book group increase based on other students saying you must come and try this out and we've now got students across the UK who are, we call them student tweeps so each university involved um, has a, a student tweep who on the, the, the live discussion will feed the Twitter feed with comments from all the, the universities mm. each one in each location and then that conversation goes on yeah. from that then you're developing not only communities of learning which is one of the main aims of book group but communities of practice as well because the make professional sure, networks. For sure, sounds fantastic. It's good. <laughs> one more one more mention of how they get in touch with you. They can well they can email me amltaylor at uclan.ac.uk or use the Twitter feeds. Mine's is amltaylor66 and the book group one is SW Book Group. Amanda Taylor, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thank you very much David. Well thanks for that. I hope you found that interesting. I certainly did. And it certainly provoked a lot of thinking about all the different ways that we can actually share. Now, finally, the interview with Pam Trevithick. Now, Pam's very clear and opinionated about what she thinks should be and should happen and should actually be the landscape, if you like, of social work and what the challenges have been and still are. So let's have a good listen to Pam Trevithick. Very warm welcome today now to Pam Trevithick, who's retired from academia but is still mightily involved in the world of social work and the landscape of social work. And although she's still a visiting professor from Buckingham University, she's chosen not to put her feet up, not to sit on the beach and not to go for long rambles every day and is actually still fully committed to the whole world of social work and policy. Pam, you're very welcome. Oh, good morning. Good morning. So how come you're not enjoying retirement in a kind of a more sort of sedate way? Well, I think what happened to me was that as I headed for retirement, the full weight of this uh, so-called um, government, government policies occurred. And, and I felt that it, as, as every day dawned that social work was being seriously compromised by the policies of this coalition government which I think has never understood the role of social work and uh, I'm reminded here of the fact that when David Cameron first uh, formed his cabinet out of 29 cabinet members 23 were millionaires 
And it occurred to me as I saw that picture, how many of those millionaires knew or were familiar with the plight that social workers face on a daily basis? And more importantly, how many have actually been to a state school or even visited a state school, used the NHS, walked down the ordinary streets that you and I walk down, and most particularly, I guess, um, really understand the impact of deprivation, poverty and suffering that so many people experience in this country as the, we, we see the gap between rich and poor extending under the policies of this government. So I think it set me off to think, I'm not going to leave my colleagues, some of the most noble people on this earth, to this situation without putting my weight behind it. And since I can't be sacked, I can do and say exactly what I think to be right and proper for social work. And that's the role I take. Okay, so drilling down a little bit into that, because obviously, I mean, as far as I'm aware, most of your professional working life, you've fought for causes and for the right and justice and so forth. At the moment, right, we're in this period of austerity, we've got problems with recruitment and retention within social work. We've got problems, um, as we've seen at, the, at this conference, with an absolute overload, if you like, of policies uh, and particular things coming forward to be developed in projects, and people are feeling very overwhelmed, uh, apart from feeling very undervalued, apart from feeling having to carry too heavy loads and so forth. At the moment, because I know you can't do everything, even you. So where are you directing your energy particularly at the moment? Well, I've been directing my energy by looking at what managerialism is, which is the, the legacy of Margaret Thatcher and her, her love affair with the United States, uh, a country that we can learn so little of in terms of social policy and health policy, and yet we emulate it. So I'm, I, was, I spent some time looking at managerialism and its impact on social workers. I run a monthly peer support group for social workers and have for nearly three years where social workers just come and say what it's like, what it's like to, to do the job they're doing and how hard that job is, but most particularly the fact that they didn't feel they were trained to sit in front of a computer or to direct services to some unknown body that's barely properly scrutinised or uh, regulated. And uh, so what I've done over the last three years is, uh, from that perspective, is gather up the thinking of practitioners. And what I've done is I've then taken that thinking further by uh, uh, running day workshops when invited in local authorities and, uh, and lecturing at universities, again when invited, to highlight uh, the, t the tensions that are existing in social work, that they extend far beyond uh, the, this government's um, very impoverished perspective on social work, but it also extends to uh, um, our need to revisit what we should be teaching on social work courses, and, the, and also in that task to revisit the importance of social work skills, which is where I come from because I've, I've, I've written a book on this subject, on the knowledge and skills 
It, it, well, its first title in the first two editions was uh, Social Work Skills and a, a Practice Handbook. And then I, I spent a, a, a year looking at knowledge. And so it's now Social Work uh, Skills and Knowledge, a Practice Handbook. And as a Practice Handbook, it's meant to be that students can just dip into it when, they, when they've got a query. Open University Press. And that's a book that's now in five languages. Um, well, that's handy because we do get a lot of listeners around the world to this program. Yeah. Go, we go to about sixty countries. Oh my God, oh, that's excellent. I mean, I must, I must tell you, I don't speak the languages of the other. Mm, sorry, that's right. <laughs> of the other editions, so I have no idea uh, whether so. they're accurately rec- representing what I'm saying. But uh, at least it's out there that social work skills is an important facet okay. of so social work. So, I mean, for example, we, I, I've heard presentations here at the conference about the dearth of direct work now with children. We listened to Harry Ferguson talking about that. And I mean, it's exactly as a result of, I would say, in many cases, what you've been talking about is the actual bureaucratic demands, the imperatives of the computer and so forth. I mean, can you see us managing to reclaim you know, the, the, the skills, reclaim the, the way that we think social workers should be working and practising? Well, I think it's going to be a difficult task because I've just come back from Australia where the same problems that we have in England uh, dominate Australia. And um, because one of the problems about managerialism or new, manage- new public management is it's, it's internationally popular, um, particularly in English-speaking countries. Partly again because of the influence of the United States, um, and so uh, it, there is a way forward. I feel. I think the way forward is is to look at the um, look at the relationships we build in social work and focus on them in much more detail. And uh, I've say I say to the practitioners, until somebody's got a video on your back, people actually don't know what you're doing, and that's not meant to. That's not an invitation to be, you know, irresponsible because social workers are not. But it is to say there is a degree of freedom that you do have, and you need to exercise that degree of freedom. Um, and I feel that, and, and I and people uh, that I work with feel that by developing a, a relationship-based approach, which is based on the the emotional life of human beings as well as the practical life of human beings that we have a way in to make managerialism more humane. I have heard a, a description that I've always hung on to during my whole working life, and one that's never been totally fulfilled, I might say, of a social worker, what, what a social worker should be. And that would be um, an independent professional within a corporate environment. I mean, would you kind of lend some agreement to that? I think it depends what you mean by corporate environment. Well, within the employer, for example, if it's a local authority, in the sense that you have to obviously go by the rules of your employer, but at the same time, just possibly like a a doctor or a lawyer, whatever you... We really should be encouraging social workers to be far more independent within that environment. That's how I feel. Yeah, well, I I would take that point and emphasise the fact I do think social workers... uh, Many are public servants, and I think this is a very important element. I think accountability, the accountability that lies with public service is crucial to social work. And I I think that 
that's possibly a difference between England and other countries, or the United Kingdom, is that I think somewhere like Australia may put out more of their, what we would consider statutory functions, into the private sector. Um, I have very little faith in the private sector, I must tell you this. Um, I actually have, a, I have great reserve about the charity sector as well. Um, I read in The Guardian a while ago that certainly some charities received 85% of their funding from government. And I know that some charities have had what they call kind of mission crises, where the, the, the basis on which they were set up has been compromised by seeking money from government that actually challenges their, their mission, their vision for the people they were set up to serve. So I think we're in a kind of a very great conundrum here. And accountability and transferability is crucial for me. And I think that social workers work within that frame. What I don't think happens is I don't think government's properly accountable. And I, don't think local, I think local authorities are hugely compromised by the way that local, the, the way that government load more and more expectations on local authorities with less and less funding so that we have the situation where I think the chair of the local authority association in England says that in 2015 a third of all local authority funding will have been taken away and anyway actually I don't call it austerity I call it robbery I consider that robbery I didn't vote for it no person I know voted for this. It's not, was, it was not in anybody's political mandate. I consider this to be completely undemocratic and immoral, and it needs to change. Okay, fine, pretty clear. I want a penultimate question then, if I may. As an academic, okay, you probably have a view about some recent um, expressions about the quality of social work education uh, for newly qualified social workers. I mean, we know all the, the basics hit the headlines, and there was, there was some criticism of it, and most of the academics here, if not all of them, at this conference were quite upset about that and felt that it was inappropriate and ill-judged. But at the same time, it still was said, and I'm guessing still being said in some quarters as well. How do you feel about that? Well, I've taught NHS managers, social work managers, I've taught... Uh, counsellors, I've taught dental students for 10 years, I've taught a range of social workers and there, there will always be some social workers who don't make who, are quali who become qualified who don't make the mark. That's in any profession. I think that where social work comes into uh, uh, in, into, into the high line into the limelight is the fact that the media scrutinises social work in a way that absolutely no other profession is scrutinised and that in itself is unfair the comment about social work education if, if, it's, if there is queries about it I would place that at the role of government most social work courses did not ask for social work education and training to be opened up to 18 year olds most social work programmes did not ask for social work students to be uh, recruited at such vast numbers this was not in the realm of either academics or the uh, senior uh, representatives of social work. This was imposed. And having imposed that on social work and social workers, I put that task back to government. I put it back to government. Properly fund social work education and take a step back and look in more detail at what social work is, what social workers represent 
and the, 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 back, the, the extraordinary range of knowledge and skills that social workers have to exercise because of all professions, they work across the widest range of the populations that they serve. Okay. Finally, I've asked most of the guests on the programme to do this as a sort of a concluding thing. I just a very brief minute or two, if you like. Here you have a whole bunch of social workers sat in front of you, all right? or a whole no, a whole bunch of people thinking about becoming social workers sat in front of you, and as well as that, just behind them are a bunch of social workers who've been qualified for a while, also listening. What sort of message would you like to give out to people in the profession or thinking about the profession? The message I would give is that it is social workers themselves that needs to shape the future of this profession. And we need to do that shaping based on our experiences of, of how service users and carers um, are dealing with the difficulties that they face. And that this is a tough profession, but it's, it, I believe it to be one of the most noble. It, 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 it invites people to join this profession who know that they're not going to be well treated half the time or well respected in ways that they deserve, not well paid. And yet most people come into social work through their love of people, their commitment to others. And I think that's a very noble and proud position to be taking up. So I think... Come into this profession, you will, you will find some wonderful people, wonderful people. Pam Trevithick, thank you very much indeed, a pleasure to talk to you. Well that's it for this week. Thanks to everybody, as I said, I, I do hope to be putting out another regular podcast in a few days time, and then some more from the Joint Social Work Education Conference, which... Uh, to be honest, I don't think we can get enough of. There are more interviews to come, more good, deep feelings about social work, research, education, whatever. So, until the next time, thanks very much for listening.